the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The parable of the wedding feast in today's gospel calls to mind a parable we had earlier in Trinity season on the second Sunday after Trinity, the parable of the Great Supper. Both of these parables have a feast thrown by someone who invites many guests and uh, with varying responses. However, the difference is that the parable of the Great Supper emphasizes evangelism. It ends with an invitation. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Whereas the parable of the wedding feast ends with judgment. The king comes into the room, singles out a particular person and says, friend, how did you come in without a wedding garment? And he is summarily dismissed, uh, never to return to the feast again. It's thematically significant that the parable of the Great Supper comes at the beginning of Trinity season. As, as the year, the, the teaching season begins, the open invitation is, is presented, and that the parable of, that highlights judgment comes towards the end of Trinity season as we begin to look towards Advent and the coming of Christ. I remember a sermon my late friend and mentor, Bishop Cahoon, gave about this passage. He said that the man without a wedding garment represents our greatest fear. We follow Christ all of our lives, only to be bounced into hell in a technicality at the last moment. <laughs> but of course, as he noted, the wedding garment represents some essential thing, not uh, just a technicality that, that we may easily overlook. And the image of clothing in the Bible gives us an idea of what this essential thing might be. After the first sin in Genesis, Adam and Eve clothed themselves with fig leaves, a covering that proved to be inadequate. After God confronted them with their sin, he clothed them with the skin of an animal, which of course required that animal's death. Thus, it was the sacrifice and the, the clothing, the tunic of skin, that enabled Adam and Eve to be in the presence of God after their sin. In the Torah, specific instructions were given as to how the priest was to clothe himself when he went into the temple to offer sacrifice. Leviticus 16 says, He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body with water and then put them on. This was how the priests were to dress when they went into the temple to offer sacrifice. So again, we have the sacrifice and the appropriate garment enabling the worshiper to approach God. And this is the background for how we approach God through the sacrifice of Christ. The New Testament describes baptism as a change of clothes. Last week's epistle said, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which according to God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 
This change of clothes is symbolic of our interior transformation. Wearing fine outward clothes is not necessarily a sign of interior faith, as we see, for example, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The outward clothing represents the interior virtue and holiness that comes to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As St. Peter writes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God will eventually give us an exterior glory that will match our interior faith. That is the essence of our resurrection hope. As St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, quote, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this body, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Revelation promises us this glorious immortal clothing. Quote, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and his angels. This is our wedding garment. As Revelation 19 says, quote, let us rejoice and be glad and give God the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Thus, the central Christian vocation is to get dressed for the coming wedding. What begins in baptism is a continual process in our lives, continually to take off the old self through confession of our sins, to receive God's grace and forgiveness, and then to put on our new self, which is evidenced by doing the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. The man without a wedding garment in the parable was not doing this. He apparently was in church, but he was going through the outward motions of faith. He was not opening his life up to God's grace and to this interior transformation. And he was surprised at the judgment because the exterior appearance can be deceiving. In church, we all look more or less the same outwardly, and the outward appearance can hide a lack of interior faith. Life is full of distractions that draw us away from our central vocation of getting ready for the coming wedding feast. And this is our spiritual battle, our challenge. In the season of time before a wedding, the bride focuses on her preparations for that day. If she gets distracted from her preparations, she might not be ready when the time comes to walk down the aisle. See the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. We can get distracted from our vocation by many things. 
We have personal anxieties. We have concerns about politics, concerns about our business, concerns about our children, our families, even concerns about our sports teams, which sometimes loom larger than all the other ones. These are unavoidable parts of life. The challenge is how to approach them faithfully. When our primary concern is success, victory, or comfort in this world, we will be led to make spiritual and moral compromises to achieve our goal. When these compromises become habitual, they amount to an unfaithful pattern of life. We are busy getting ready for something else other than the wedding feast. Jesus said, quote, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus taught us to make the kingdom of God a priority in everything. This means asking, what does the kingdom of God look like in each and every area of my life? We cannot bear witness to Christ in the world unless we are committed to being different from the world. This means we may not win the battle in the world, but that's not supposed to be our goal. Every time we honor God and do what is right, even though it will not necessarily result in victory, success, or pleasure right now, we are getting dressed for the coming <coughs> wedding feast. And the Eucharist is our wedding rehearsal. Here we meet the bridegroom. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Eventually, this sacramental sign of Christ will give way to his personal appearance. The king himself will come <coughs> among us, and he will look at us, as indeed he is looking at us today. And today, he is inviting us to the party. Come, for all things are now ready. And the only important question in life is, are you getting ready for the coming wedding feast? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.